Wow, here we are. Um, first of all, I'm uh, excited about getting into the Bible, um, but just um, just want to honour a few people first. Firstly, the um, uh, well, all of the people in Chester Street because they're an amazing bunch of people. As if you've met them, you'll know. But um, particularly, I think those those um, twenty or so adults and their children um, who started off with Claire and, Claire and myself. Um, well, four years ago, really, four and a bit years ago, we started the journey in terms of starting a small group out there. And, uh, yeah, because obviously they were willing to, to come and be involved and get stuck in. And without that kind of deposit, as it were, um, what we now see, which is a beautiful growing church, would never have come about. So if you're ever involved in church planting, uh, know that that first step, if you're one of the first ones, that's a really key. You need, you need those pioneers to, get, to say, let's, let's go, let's do this. So thank you so much to those and everyone else who has joined since. And also to the uh, Durham elders. I'm going to miss meeting with you on a Friday. Um, uh, and many other things I'll miss. No, okay, I'll, I will miss the lunch that I get to eat on a Friday. Um, <laughs> that is the truth, you're right. Um, <laughs> Uh, but yeah, it's um, a really exciting day. There's a bit of sadness in me because obviously Emmanuel Church has been my church for 11 years in total, uh, put, putting the two bits together 11 and a half years when I was a student and since. Um, but it's also uh, incredibly exciting as we press forward as Redeemer Church into all that God has for us. So I'm just going to pray. Lord, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you, God, for your great love, Lord, and your kindness to us. Thank you, Jesus, that you have come to rescue us, that you, <laughs> you didn't leave us, Lord, you didn't leave us in our, in our mess, but you've come and got hold of our lives, and we praise you for that. And Lord, I pray this morning you would speak to us through your words. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, there was once a girl who uh, had made a mess of her life. She uh, had failed in all sorts of ways, and she felt really ashamed um, of, of herself. No one loved her. No one even liked her. Her family had disowned her. Uh, and she would w- spend most of her days walking around, walking around with her head bowed low, and no one to, uh, no one to stop for her, no one to even say hello to her. At the same time, in another country, there was a king, and this king was looking for someone to be his wife, and uh, he went, he went searching for this wife, and he came across this girl. And instead of, like everyone else, just ignoring her and, des- and, and despising her, he saw her. And although she, there was nothing in her that should attract him to her, he loved her. And he reached out to her, and he actually proposed to her, and they got married. And on their wedding day, the girl said to this king, All that I am, I give to you. And all that I have, I share with you. And at that moment, all of her shame and all of her guilt was given to the king. He took it. And the king said, all that I am, I give to you, and all that I have, I share with you. At that moment, his kingdom and his riches and his wealth, his honour, became hers. This is the gospel, the good news of God in Jesus Christ. This is what we should be loving and enjoying. And as the word said there, reveling in. I chose that word deliberately, although it's a bit of a weird word, because we want to be crazy. Revelry means there's a bit of craziness going on, normally in drunkenness. But we want to be crazy, um, Emmanuel Church and Redeemer Church, about Jesus Christ and the love that we have found in him. Jesus is the great bridegroom. Uh, We can now go on to slide number one, and then we'll just go from there. Jesus is the great bridegroom. He has reached out in compassion to us, his 
bride and he has given us all that is all that is his his beauty his righteousness his innocence his life and we have given him as he died on the cross he all all, all of our filth all of our shame all of our guilt was laid upon him it's the great exchange it's the joyful exchange the great marriage swap of human history and it's this glorious marriage that i want to dwell on this morning um, let's get rid of this. I'm going to keep trying to pick it up. Um, and um, in Isaiah chapter 61, um, we read these words. So if you've got a Bible, these aren't actually on the screen. Um, so Isaiah chapter 61, they start coming on the screen verse by verse later on. But Isaiah chapter 61, uh, starting at verse 10, and we go through to chapter 62, verse 7. We read these amazing words. Isaiah 61 verse 10, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has covered me with a robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the earth brings forth its sprouts and as a garden causes what is grown in it to sprout up. So the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before all the nations. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silence. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not be quiet. Whenever whenever we hear the word Zion and Jerusalem, it, it, it stems for us to all the people of God throughout human history. Until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a burning torch. The nations shall see your righteousness and all the kings your glory, and you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hands of your God. You shall no more be termed forsaken, and your land shall no more be termed desolate, but you shall be called, my delight is in her, and your land married. For the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married. For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. On your walls, O Jerusalem, I've set watchmen. All the day and all the night, they shall never be silent. You who put the Lord in remembrance, take no rest and give him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem and makes it the praise, a praise in the earth. These words were written by the prophet Isaiah about 700 years before Jesus was born. And they're part of a bigger narrative, a bigger story in Isaiah. And we need to go back to chapter 59 to see something of its context. In chapter 59, we get an onslaught of judgment on God's people. If you just read it through, it's pretty, it's pretty depressing, to be honest. It's just <laughs> an onslaught of judgment. So here's some examples. Verse 2, your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you. Verse 7, their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Verse 13, transgressing and denying the Lord and turning back from following our God. Verses 14 and 15, justice is turned back. Truth is lacking. In other words, summary, these people are not in a good place. They've rejected God. They've acted selfishly. And we're in no different a place, really. 
We might use some different words as you read through. You might say, well, that, that bit doesn't really apply to me. But actually, we are just the same. We have rejected God. We are just like that girl in that story. We have made a mess of our lives. And many of us, even this morning maybe, are coming from a place of guilt and shame because we know actually our lives aren't as they should be. We never, we, we have, some of us maybe have targets for our lives and we never reach those targets. Uh, new Year, classic. Uh, and so, okay, maybe this is a trivial example. We put targets in the new year and we don't meet them. But that's the way of our life generally in, 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 in how we live. Not just New Year's resolutions, but we, we never seem to reach the bar. We always think we're not good enough. Or maybe it's just me. But that's how I often feel. But then in the middle of chapter 59, we get a beautiful moment because God steps in. Verse 15 to 17. The Lord, sorry, I think verse 15 to 17, is that coming up? There we are, it's quite small. But the Lord saw it and it displeased him that there was no justice. God saw. He saw that there was no man and wondered that that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought him salvation and his righteousness upheld him. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. And verse 20, and a redeemer will come to Zion, to those in Jacob who turn from transgression, declares the Lord. In the midst of this depravity, in the midst of this uh, turning their backs on God again and again, it says that God himself closed himself with salvation and with righteousness. God decks himself out. God gets ready to come to save his people. Hallelujah. This is good news. These people aren't exactly earning their salvation, are they? The context is sin, 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 sin. And God saw it and God closed himself in salvation and righteousness. He himself gets his hands dirty, ready to save. But then do you notice verse 10 of chapter 61 in our passage? Similar language. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. The the speaker here is the anointed king that Isaiah prophesies, the Messiah, the one that was sent from God. So what's going on? First of all, God in chapter 59 clothes himself with righteousness and salvation. And now he's clothing someone else with righteousness and salvation, this this anointed king. In other words, the means by which God is going to come to rescue is through this anointed king. His name is Jesus Christ. Christ means Messiah. It means anointed king, anointed one. Jesus, anointed king. Jesus, the one who is clothed with garments of salvation and robes of righteousness. Verse 11 continues. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress and a bride adorns herself with her jewels. This tells us, tells us how Jesus is clothed with, with righteousness and salvation. And it's amazing when we think about it. He clothes himself like a bridegroom or a bride getting ready for their wedding day. Now, I know you can't tell it from how I'm, how I'm looking today, but I don't spend hours every day getting ready. I don't think about what what. what clothes I'm going to wear particularly. I just grab something quickly. Um, and uh, I don't spend hours styling my hair. Obviously, today's an exception. Um, or, sh- or shaving, doing that nice close shave. Um, <laughs> uh, having a lovely, you know, thinking about all of my many aftershaves, which one I'm going to go for. All of that, I don't spend hours doing it. It's amazing. And Claire still loves me. But... So- was there a comment over there? I feel like there was... 
Um, but, but something very, very, very strange happened on my wedding day. Not only did I spend at least half an hour getting ready, but I spent about, about three months before my wedding day, I chose what suit I was going to wear on that day and what color tie I was going to wear. How weird is that? I never do that normally. I don't think three months, what am I going to wear? What suit was? And I did it. And that's just me as the bridegroom. I mean, I don't think how much time Claire uh, took getting ready. It was beautiful and stunning as she was in the end. So it was definitely worth it. But I know there were at least a couple of changes of dress along the way in the build-up to it. It's as if something significant happens on your wedding day. And of course it does. And that's the point. What Jesus does in coming to save us isn't a spur-of-the-moment decision. It's not something you think, oh, yeah, I guess I'll go and save him today. It was foreordained, and it was foreplanned, and it was a commitment which he chose. It was a decision of the will, and it is a commitment which he is never going to go back on. It's the great marriage covenant. We have, um, unfortunately, marriage covenants fail from time to time in, in, in our society, in our lives even for some of us. But you know what? The, the, the great bridegroom will never fail. He will never go back on his covenant commitment to you. In fact, there's an amazing verse in Revelation 13, verse 8, where it says, The Lamb, Jesus, who was slain from the creation of the world. What a weird verse. No, he wasn't. He was slain 2,000 years ago. The world was created before that, quite a long way before that. But it, what that verse is saying is that even before the world was created... God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit made a commitment that they were going to come and they were going to get a bride for the Son, for Jesus Christ, the great bridegroom. And they were committed to you. Even you were chosen before the creation of the world in Christ Jesus to be his, it says in Ephesians 1. He takes this marriage commitment very, very seriously. And verse 10, if we just go on again, I think it will go back to verse 10 if we go on. Verse 10, another amazing thing about this commitment of Jesus is he rejoices in it. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with these garments of salvation. Just pause on that for a moment, because what does Jesus being clothed with garments of salvation actually mean? It means death on a cross. And yet it says that he greatly rejoices in it. Come on, bring on the cross. Obviously there was pain, and as we see in the Garden of Gethsemane, he found it very, very hard. It's like, please know if possible, But ultimately, there was a delight and a joy in going to the cross in Jesus Christ. Why? Because of the joy that was set before him. He scorned the cross. He endured the cross, it says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. That was his, that was his, that was his aim. That was his goal. His prize. It was was a bride. His, his goal was a beautiful bride, full of righteousness and full of glory. And that bride includes you if you trust in him. I'm going to take this girl, he thought, who is impoverished, who is guilty, who is shameful, who is messed up and dirty, and I'm going to transform her. I'm going to make her mine. And when she becomes mine, when she becomes my bride, everything changes. She, becomes, she, she goes from that, that, that disgraced um, girl to, 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 to the queen, to the, to, to, to the one who shares in my kingdom and my honor and my glory. Chapter 62, verse 1 goes on and takes it even further. Get there. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. This is still Jesus, the Messiah speaking. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not be quiet. 
Zion and Jerusalem, are talking, in this context, are talking about the people of God throughout all history, until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a burning torch. See how it, these threads continue. First of all, God himself was clothed with righteousness and salvation. Then he clothes the Messiah, the anointed king, with righteousness and salvation so that he can come and save through the cross. And now the people of God are clothed with, with, with righteousness and salvation. The goal is that the bride shares in the beauty of the bridegroom, which is God's beauty. It's amazing. And it's not just like a little bit of righteousness and salvation, just sort of, you know, just cover up the net, cover up a bit of the dirt. It is righteousness shining brightly. It is salvation burning from us. God in Christ takes a bride for his son and he puts her on display. That's his heart. That's his will. Come on, world. (laughs) Come and have a look at my church. Come and have a look at the beauty and the glory of my church. I hope that there's something of the the beauty of the church, which is the aim of this, and the beauty of Jesus, which is being um, arisen within us this morning, because that is what it's all about. Ephesians 5 says this, talking about the way that Jesus loved the church as husbands should love their wives. Christ loved the church and he gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself, to the bridegroom, in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, and and that she might be holy and without blemish. Wow. Wow. That's who you are now. If you put your trust in Christ, that is who you are. It should revolutionize the way that we think about ourselves. So the bride of Christ, we receive the bridegroom's righteousness. We're rescued out of our mess and placed into his beauty and his glory. But more than that, that's just part one. We receive the bridegroom's righteousness. I told, told Alan I'd be a few more minutes than initially planned. <laughs> we, we, receive, we receive the bridegroom's righteousness, but we also receive the bridegroom's delight. The passage goes on, uh, verse two. And you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give you. A new name in the Bible means a new identity. I have discovered that my greatest joy in life is helping myself and helping others find their identity in Christ because that revolutionizes everything. If you understand who you are in Jesus, then it changes everything else. There's no point trying to live the Christian life if you don't know who you are in Christ because it flows out of that. We'll get bored, we'll get burnt out, we'll, get, um, uh, we'll just become religion. But if we know who we are, then suddenly it, becomes, it just changes the way that we look at the world. It changes the way that we look at God. It changes everything. And so we get a new name. What is the new name? Um, just leave it on that, on that slide for now. It's not not having a clicker. The new name is this. My delight is in her. Verse four, you should no longer be termed forsaken, but you shall be called my delight is in her. Just let that sink in because for some of us, we feel forsaken. We feel like no one, like that girl, no one really likes me. No one really loves me. No one really cares about my life. Or maybe, you know, they do, but, but still, when you just think about what's happened, your past, or even now, even yesterday, and the stuff you did yesterday, and you think, oh, God, surely, even if, even if okay, everyone else can just see, see the nice bits about me, the outside, but God can see the heart. Surely he's forsaken me. He sees what, what I thought yesterday, not just what I did. And yet God says, my delight is in you. My delight is in you. There was a, uh, apparently, I'm sure it's made up story, but there was a famous um, theologian and pastor who got to the end, near the end of his life. And he was asked 
what the greatest kind of the, the pinnacle of his of his theological revelations were through his through his career. And his answer was this. Jesus loves me so, for the Bible tells me so. The Bible tells me Jesus loves me. You know, sometimes we think maturity is about graduating to better seas, that we kind of discover better seas to swim in, um, in, 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 in and, and new revelations about God. But actually, this pastor found that maturity is scuba diving. It is going deep into the same ocean, the love of God for me, the love of God for me. The, there's so much more to explore. We can never reach the bottom. It's amazing. And uh, when I was a student in Emmanuel, in the sit form center, for those that you remember it, the, I... I I remember one of the most dramatic prophetic words I've ever received was from my friend Dave Millage. And it was this, God really, really loves you. Don't despise giving that as a prophetic word. Sometimes people say, oh, just just that same word, God loves me. No, because it is, if there are times when God says that in a way which it just goes deep into someone's soul and it completely changes them. For me, that was the case. Wow, God really, really loves me. He doesn't just put up with me. He doesn't grudgingly let me into his kingdom but he draws me in he he wants me he desires me he desires you listen to verse five again i think it's on the next slide we'll find out okay one more as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride so shall your god rejoice over you (laughs) he actually sings over you he rejoices over you singing, it says in Zephaniah chapter 3. I was reading Jeremiah recently, I just came across this verse. It just hit me. 32, chapter 32, verse 41, God rejoices in doing you good. He doesn't just do you good, he rejoices in doing you good. It's like, oh, I can't get enough of doing good for this person, for this church, for this community, because that's what I'm about. I'm about doing good for them, for my bride. And in, in return, he gets the glory. It's an amazing thing. Sometimes we say, oh, the honeymoon's over, the honeymoon period's over, you know, in, in human marriages and now, or I've said that about the church in, Ch- in Chester Street. At the, time, the honeymoon was over after 12 months and then it got hard. Um, and, uh, but actually the honeymoon is never over with God. Like his, that kind of same fierce, passionate love for you goes on and on and on. And there's one more little verse we left out in this, in this section. Um, if we go on, next slide, please. Verse three, it says this. You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. It doesn't just say, like, God will be your crown or, which you might expect, you might think, like, God will crown you or something. God, God will crown you. It says, you will be God's Jesus' crown, God's crown. That's staggering when you think about it. Like, what is a crown? A crown is a sign of someone's kingship. And a crown is um, a, a, a sign of their significance and it's treasured. It's a precious thing. And God says, that's who you are to me. I want to I put you on display. I want to wear you. Actually, as, as, as you become mine, I am glorified. I am shown to be king through my people. And not only is it just put on his head, it's not put on his head, he holds it in his hand. It's so precious, he doesn't want it to fall off or get stolen. He's, he's got you in his, in his hand. He's got, you, he's got you protected. He is holding you fast. He says, this is my treasured crown. 
individually and corporately. It's, it's kind of spoken corporately, but obviously we need to understand it individually as well. You, this is my treasured crown, and I am holding you fast. As Emmanuel Church and Redeemer Church become two independent churches today, my, my personal desire uh, is that each church would know the glory and wonder of what it means to be the bride of Christ. I love that picture of the church. There's all sorts of pictures in the Bible, but the bride of Christ is such a powerful one. That we would have the bridegroom's righteousness and the bridegroom's delight. It doesn't matter if we succeed or we fail, he still thinks we're stunning. And that's quite encouraging for me uh, as we launch out as Redeemer Church, because it's daunting, not going to lie. Suddenly, we're independent. And that's quite daunting. But the the reality is, it doesn't really matter if we succeed or fail, because God still thinks we're amazing. And it's the same with Emmanuel. Great plans, great visions going forwards. But actually, it's not about whether you achieve those plans or visions in terms of how God sees you. Obviously, we want to achieve them for the purposes of God. But God says now, like, you are, you are just so beautiful to me. You are so wonderful in my sight. As we draw to a close, um, there's one more thing we receive from the bridegroom, and that's the bridegroom's call in verses 6 and 7. On your walls, O Jerusalem, I have set watchmen. All the day and all the night they shall never be silent. You who put the Lord in remembrance, take no rest. Give him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem and makes it a praise in the earth. Remember, Jerusalem is representing the people of God throughout all human history. It includes the church today. It is the bride for which Jesus died. The end point of all human history is that the people of God will be established as the bride of Christ. And they will be a praise in all the earth. We will be a praise in all the earth. We will be at the center of human history with the great bridegroom, Jesus Christ. And we'll, we'll get his honor as well and reign with him and rule with him. It's, it's quite hard to get our heads around because we think, well, it's just me, little old me. But that's, that's where we're going. That's our destiny. That's what we're on course for. That's who we are in his purposes. The, we as the bride will walk down the aisle and we will meet our great bridegroom face to face and we will be with him forever, receiving his righteousness and his delight forever and ever and ever in, per, in perfection. That's what Revelation 21 two says. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for husband. Wow. He's going to be standing at the end of that aisle. I don't know if you've... Well, silly thing. I'm sure all of us have been to weddings. I don't know if you've been to a wedding. Nearly all of us, if not all of us, have been to weddings. And um, uh, it's that, that crazy moment when you look at the, 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 the groom at the front and he's, he's, he's looking back, the, the, the bride's coming in and you see his face. And it's not normally a face of indifference. It's not normally a face of... Should have stayed in bed. It's not normally that sort of face. <laughs> is a face of delight and a, a face of anticipation. And God is calling us to have that same face. Um, oh, sorry, Jesus has that same face towards us as we walked in, down the aisle. He is, he is eagerly anticipating the day when we will meet face to face. Physically. I know, obviously, there's that spiritual face to face now, but when we all is, is, is coming together at the end. And we should have that same eager anticipation. It's encouraging, it's exciting, it should stir our hearts to see this is where we're going, but it should also deeply challenge us. Because the question is, are our sights set on the same goal as the bridegroom? The bride and the bridegroom are looking for that goal together. We should be aiming for that, we should be preparing for that, we should be giving ourselves to that purpose. 
And it means taking no rest and giving him no rest until it happens. It means crying out in prayer. It means giving ourselves, giving our lives, laying our lives down. Jesus Christ has already laid his life down for you so that this could happen. Now he says, will you lay down your life for me so that this can happen, so that we can, so that we can receive the fullness of the purposes of God on the earth. Emmanuel Church, do you love the church as the bride of Christ and the bridegroom? who you're going to see face to face, and are you giving yourself wholeheartedly to his purposes? Redeemer Church, do you love the bridegroom and do you love his bride, and are you giving yourself wholeheartedly to his purposes? Everything else is a distraction. Come on, there's a wedding day. It's like, when, like people, when people get ready for plan for weddings, they get pretty obsessed often, and they get pretty single-minded. You can't even talk to them about anything else. They're just like... And God says, I want that same single-minded devotion. This is where you're heading. This is what is happening. Are we devoting our lives to this goal as Jesus devoted his life to this goal, even to death on a cross? Final two verses. Um, Maybe the band could come up, actually, um, as I read this. Revelation 22, verse 17. The spirit and the bride say, come. This is talking to Jesus, the bridegroom. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come, Jesus. And verse 20, he who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Let's stand. Lord Jesus, we say, come. Great bridegroom, come, Lord Jesus. And we say that looking for the final day when you're going to come and uh, bring all history to its climax in that great wedding day. But Lord God, we say it now as well. Lord, come in our lives. Come in our churches. Let us know afresh today the righteousness that we have from the bridegroom. Let us know again the delight that we have from the bridegroom. And as we receive the righteousness and delight, Lord, we hear your call. And your call is to give you no rest until it is established, until that end comes about. And so, Lord God, we devote ourselves afresh to that end. We say, Lord, we surrender. We commit ourselves again to you, Jesus, and to your church. We're sorry, Lord, where we've treated you lightly and we treated the church lightly imperfect redeemer church imperfect Emmanuel church and yet all part of your great glorious beautiful bride Lord help us to see it rightly and to see you rightly as we worship now as we go into this time Lord of communion and things in a moment Lord would you would you speak to us would you lead us in this worship we pray